lawnmower, bulldozer, snowplow, helicopter. Whatever piece of machinery you want to use as a euphemism, feel free. I'll just stick with helicopter parenting or overparenting. I know what you're thinking already. I'm not one of those moms. I've seen them at school and in the dugout and in the front row at recitals, constantly instructing and clearing the path for their kids. Not so fast. Stay with me. You're listening to Speaking of Teens, and I'm Ann Coleman, mom, attorney, turned parent educator. I'm here every Tuesday to bring you the latest science-backed advice on parenting your teen. In today's episode number 14, I'm going to tell you exactly what this overparenting or helicopter parenting really looks like. Talk about why we do this to our kids, the effect on our kids, and I'll ask you to examine your own parenting tendencies and tell you how to stop overparenting if you are and what to do instead. The whole idea of helicopter parenting came from a book written by Dr. Hayam Ganot decades ago. In the book, he described a parent hovering over a teenager like a helicopter. But the term really didn't gain that much traction until around the early 90s. So what is helicopter parenting exactly? Well, it's not really a parenting style, but more of a way of overparenting that sort of plops down on top of any other parenting style. I talked a little bit about parenting styles back in episode six, if you want a refresher. For example, a parent with an authoritarian style values obedience, following the rules, and the teen doing as they're told. There's little room for autonomy or respect for the child's needs and desires. So when an authoritarian overparents, they do so to get what they want out of it perhaps a track star, a straight-A student, a scholarship winner. Then at the other end of the parenting style spectrum, a permissive parent values what the child wants. Not a lot of discipline going on. So when they overparent, they do so to make sure their teen gets whatever the teen wants, which could be to be a track star, a straight-A student, or a scholarship winner. So you can overparent with many different goals in mind. It could be to make sure your kid gets into a top-tier elite college. It could be to make sure that they never get hurt or things aren't too difficult for them. Overparenting tendencies manifest lots of different ways, which can cause all sorts of issues for our kids. No matter the reason, it needs to stop, and it's not too late. But what exactly does it look like? Well, it's not like there's a clinical diagnosis for it, but the scientific research does give us a few specific elements to look for, like giving a kid too much help, guidance, advice, supervision, protection, or control in relation to their age and developmental stage. In other words, helping them with things, showing them how, hovering over them to make sure they do it right or they don't get hurt or they do it the way you want it done when they could do it on their own without any of that. Or stepping in to solve a problem, fix a mistake, or save the day for them rather than letting them suffer the natural consequences of whatever they've done or not done. For example, emailing the teacher to discuss that bad grade, texting the mom of their friend to see why the friend is mad at them, taking over and making the piñata for a Spanish class because they put it off until the night before, 
making it with a big ass balloon and lots of flour and water and newspaper and paint and glue. And oh my God, what a mess that was. Or any other kind of support that really tends to prevent a kid from making their own decisions, solving their own problems and figuring things out the best they can. It removes all autonomy and independence. It removes the ability to learn from trial and error, their own mistakes. So could you be a helicopter parent? The whole concept can be a bit confusing. After all, we're told that being an involved, supportive parent is a good thing. So where's the line between involved and helicoptering? How do we know if we've gone too far? It appears to me there are at least a couple of different ways we should measure our involvement. For example, ask yourself, how necessary is this particular support that we're giving relative to what our kid is developmentally capable of doing himself or herself? Are they capable in the eighth grade of discussing a certain grade with their teacher? Certainly they are. Are they capable in the sixth grade of making sure they have all their books and papers in their backpack before leaving for school in the morning? Yep. Are they capable in the 11th grade of deciding what classes to take? Absolutely. We might not want to think that they're capable. We might doubt their abilities. We may fear they'll mess it up or that their mistake will be, you know, completely derailing for them that they might not do it the way we want them to do it or that we think they should do it or not get the result that we want them to, we may worry they'll be unhappy or hurt or disappointed. But all of that is beside the point. The point is to allow them to do the things they are developmentally capable of doing, or at least trying, whether they get hurt, disappointed, mess up, suffer the consequences All of that is how they learn, how they grow into an adult. It's a hard lesson to learn as a parent. I did my fair share of helicoptering, so I know how hard it is. Now, another way we should measure our involvement is to ask ourselves, how far do we need to go with that support to allow them to accomplish the thing as independently as possible and or learn from their mistakes? For example, if your sixth grader is supposed to build a model of the school building from cardboard and they don't really know where to start, do you need to step in and draw the pattern, cut it out, glue it together, draw all the windows and doors, and then tell them how to paint it? Or do you just sit down with them asking questions that will lead them in the direction they need to go to get through all the steps? Or if your ninth grader left their class project at home and they call you in a panic to drop what you're doing at work and drive the hour and a half round trip from your office to the house, to their school, and back to your office, just so they won't lose a letter grade, do you do it? Or do you let them suffer the natural consequences of their mistake? Now, we've probably all gone too far now and then in a moment of weakness, But if you parent this way on the regular, then your kid is going to have major problems later on. I'll talk about that in a minute. If you want to examine your own behavior to see if it might amount to overparenting, there's a link in the show notes for a bonus download I created for you entitled, You Might Be Overparenting If. Be sure to go grab that and it will help you examine your own parenting tendencies. So what drives us to overparent? It turns out there are several different reasons why we do this, 
As I mentioned back in episode one, I definitely leaned in and tried to control my teenage son, used a very authoritarian approach, micromanaged him like crazy. It backfired and made the situation worse. And I finally learned my lesson. So let's look at some of the reasons researchers say that we overparent. Listen and do your best to analyze your own tendencies and see if any of this sounds like you. And it's okay if it does. It's never too late to change. One of the major reasons we tend to overparent is our own anxiety. Being unable to handle our own discomfort, our own emotions. That was certainly true in my case. We worry about our kids' future, that they're going to screw it up, or they're not going to reach their full potential, not without our help. Or we worry they're going to get hurt or disappointed if we don't step in and do something. We may want them to be the best or have the best or never get hurt or just to be happy or whatever it is because of our own personal history, childhood trauma even. And quite often this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We hover or control because we don't want them to be a certain way or do a certain thing and maybe something that we've done, and we end up pushing them right into that very thing, or we try to control them and keep them from certain behaviors, and they end up rebelling and jumping into that behavior anyway, or we don't feel they're ready or capable of doing something, so we do it for them and enable their helplessness. Another reason we helicopter is simply because we want control. We believe we should have it. As I mentioned earlier, you can be a helicopter parent no matter your parenting style, but researchers have found that authoritarian parents are more likely to be the helicopter in the bunch. That's because authoritarian parents are simply more controlling. Their goal is obedience. And when the kid doesn't fall in line, they're punished. And I went through this phase myself. The authoritarian's sole focus is to make sure the kid does as the parent says, period. No questions, no negotiation, no consideration of their need for autonomy, no respect for their opinions. It's a true dictatorship. Studies have shown over and over again that this authoritarian style of parenting usually results in either rebellion or the kid just behaving out of pure fear of punishment. It breaks down the parent-child relationship, and it is always detrimental to a child's emotional and mental health and when they're an adult. So an authoritarian is going to push their own agenda for the child. For example, deciding they want their kid to be an all-star lacrosse player so they can win a scholarship to a certain elite college. So it's lacrosse all the time, drills and extra practice and one-on-ones with a coach. Or it could be the same with academics and punishment for anything less than an A. The goal is whatever the parent wants and the parent does what it takes to make it happen with no regard for what the kid wants. Another reason parents helicopter is parental regret coupled with this principle called lost opportunity. As I understand it, This sort of just means that as our kids get older, we see our opportunities for direct control over their life dwindling. We see them separating from us and becoming their own person, and we begin to freak out a little bit. 
we start worrying that we haven't done a good enough job as a parent. And we realize we only have a few more years left and then they'll be gone. And we start to panic that we need to make up for all this lost time of not being a good enough parent. So we go into helicopter mode. We start involving ourselves way too much in their lives. We start calling all the shots and holding ourselves responsible for their mistakes. So we don't want them to make those mistakes. We aim to fix those things. Another type of parental regret that can also sneak in here is the kind that makes us want our kid to succeed where we didn't. We weren't the athlete we wanted to be, or we didn't make the grades or get into the college we wanted to get into. And so we try to live vicariously through our kid and make sure they do what we didn't. Perfectionism is another reason we overparent. Perhaps we have really high standards for ourselves and for our kids. We might feel our kid's success or failure is a direct reflection on us. So we want that reflection to be perfect. Their success is a measure of our own success as a parent. And of course, if they fail, we're a failure. Then there's peer pressure from other parents. I have to admit, this was also one of my problems. I looked to a close friend, or maybe I felt pressured by that friend, to be more authoritarian. I readily admit it. I feel horrible about it, but I did finally learn to switch the gears, just like you can if you want to. But we definitely feel pressure from those parents around us who are parenting a bit differently. Then there's the pressure of simply living in such a competitive world, especially in many neighborhoods where these high-achieving, academically rigorous schools pit kids against one another and parents vie for helicopter parent of the year. I mean, this is also a kind of peer pressure for parents if we allow it to be. I have an entire episode on this phenomenon. If you want to have a listen, it's episode number two. Hey there, real quick. I want you to know about something that if you're anything like me, an anxious ADHD overthinker, you may really need. It's my free guide, Emotional Awareness Strategies. Being emotionally aware is the key to managing your emotions with your kids or anyone else. Inside, I talk to you about the common thinking traps, being able to differentiate between your emotions, and the importance of mindfulness. If you're a yeller, lecturer, crier, or punisher, you need this guide. The link is at the very bottom of the episode description where you're listening. Back to the show. There's also a cultural component to overparenting. For example, studies show that Eastern cultures prefer interdependence in raising kids, while Western cultures lean more towards independence. Parenting in some cultures is what would be considered in the West more authoritarian, focused on obedience. So often our overparenting is based on our culture, how we were raised. And time management could be another reason we helicopter. The results of at least one national poll regarding children's health found that although 97% of parents said they were trying to parent their teens to be independent, at least 25% of them found it really hard to do because of time management issues. Often it was just faster to do things themselves rather than to teach the kids how to do it or argue about it. So what's the effect of all this overparenting on our kids? 
The research shows that the effect of overparenting kids and teens can show up when they're still in middle or high school with mental health issues like anxiety or depression. But most of the research has typically been done regarding college-age kids. When overparented kids leave home, go off to college, and attempt independence. And the findings from this research clearly shows overparenting does our kids a disservice. These kids are completely overwhelmed. They're terrified of failing. They become neurotic. Their grades suffer because they have no intrinsic motivation to make good grades if they've always had the extrinsic motivation of parental punishment. And when they do make a bad grade or make a mistake of any kind, they feel like total failures. They're extremely self-critical. They can't cope. They don't have good relationships with their peers. They have poor emotional regulation. They suffer with low self-esteem. They feel completely incapable of handling things on their own. They don't trust themselves to make everyday decisions. They still feel completely dependent on their parents. They're prone to separation anxiety, so they're homesick. And many of them suffer from social anxiety, which means they can't go out and do the things that normal college kids do. On top of that, there's more depression and substance abuse among kids who've had helicopter parents. And it also appears, based on a handful of studies, that daughters may suffer worse from overparenting than sons. They develop more issues with anxiety and depression. Basically, it looks like helicopter parents use a higher level of control with daughters and grant them less autonomy than they do sons. Then moving on into adulthood, these folks are prone to depression and are more likely to be narcissistic and even have a sense of entitlement. Now, there have been some studies that show the benefits of helicoptering, but I would argue, and I think many other researchers have pointed out, that the traits they were studying do not reach the level of true overparenting. For example, parental involvement in a kid's education is widely accepted as critical to their success. And some helicoptering studies have seemed to point to this as a positive of being a helicopter parent. But again, this term helicopter parent is not precisely defined in the scientific literature so that everyone is comparing apples to apples. It really appears that the type of involvement is what is at question. It's not overparenting if it helps kids or teens develop problem-solving and decision-making skills, respecting the child's autonomy and fostering independence. It crosses over into overparenting when autonomy is taken away, when kids are crippled by having too much done for them, having no ability to make their own decisions or resolve their own problems or learn from their mistakes. They simply don't learn the skills it takes to survive on their own later as an adult. So how do we stop our overparenting or helicoptering tendencies? We all have the best intentions for our kids to grow up happy, healthy, and even successful. But if we want it so much that it leads us down this overparenting path, we're going to accomplish the exact opposite for them. We can't do that. And we have to do some serious introspection. We've got to dig deep and really think about how we think about parenting our kids. A little metacognition. We must be able to honestly evaluate our own thoughts, emotions, and behavior 
and call ourselves out. If we're wrong, we're wrong. Stand up and do something about it. God, I feel like an Alabama preacher. Come on down in front if you feel the spirit and make that change today, friend. But it's so true. You've got to dig deep and really take a hard look at yourself. So how do we start? First of all, consider your parenting style. If you've always been an authoritarian, now is a great time to consider moving on over to the authoritative style. Firm, but kind, empathetic, focused on respect and autonomy. I talk about parenting styles in episode six if you want to go back and have a listen. Because if you maintain this particular style of parenting, the authoritarian parenting style with obedience as your number one priority, you're not going to be able to resolve anything. Also, you're going to have to work on your emotional awareness and regulation. Since fear and anxiety drive many of our overparenting tendencies, then we have to work on this fear and anxiety where it comes from and how we can regulate it. You can listen to more about this in episode eight, and there's a link in that episode's show notes for a free guide on emotional awareness strategies. The next, even if you only have one child, like I did, don't make them the center of your entire universe. That may sound harsh, but you have a life. And if you don't, then you deserve a life. By being involved in things you're interested in, you're less likely to be available to do things for your kids that they can do for themselves. Next, don't attempt to predict the future for your child. Kids change dramatically over the years, and just because they tend to be messy or unmotivated today doesn't mean they'll be that way next week or next year. If you label them now, you're setting yourself up for controlling that not-so-wonderful trait you see in them. Next, accept that your child isn't you. They should be allowed to have different opinions, different likes and dislikes, different hobbies and tastes. Listen to what they have to say. Find out what makes them think the way they think and what makes them do the things they do, and marvel at this independent thinker you've helped create. Then allow them to make their own decisions. Allow them to make what you think is the wrong decision. If it's something that they can't recover from, if they fail, then that may be the time to intervene. Otherwise, recoverable failures should happen because it's the only way they're going to learn. Next, realize that you can't plan out your teen's entire future. Well, you can plan it out, but they may go a different route. You can teach them values, skills, give them rules to live by, support them, love them, and hope for the best, but you can't make them become someone they're not meant to be or don't want to be. Another thing, stop worrying about the competition. Don't worry about some socially defined standard of monetary success. There's enough success to go around, especially when success is defined by the individual, your teen. What's their idea of a successful life? Have you ever asked? Get them to be honest with you and tell you what they see themselves doing 10 or 15 years from now. If they're living their best life, what would they be doing? 
Just remember that success isn't success if it makes you miserable. Success should come with happiness. That's what it should be. That's the kind of success we should all want for our kids. Another thing, listen more than you talk. If they're angry, nervous, sad, don't jump in and try to give them advice or correct them. Listen to what they're saying. Get curious to figure out what's going on so you can help them figure out exactly how they feel. Acknowledge those feelings and let them know they're entitled to feel however they feel. Guide them to solve their own problems rather than trying to fix those problems yourself. Only offer specific advice if they ask for it. If, after considering everything and taking a look at the download in the show notes, you decide you've been guilty of some overparenting, you're now going to take a couple of steps back, or maybe several, just depending. You're going to respect your teen's autonomy and give them more independence. Give them some adult responsibilities. Make sure that they follow through. Work with them as a team. Ask for their input and opinions, especially when setting rules and deciding logical consequences. Allow them to fail and suffer natural consequences and learn from those mistakes. Be there for them when they have to pick themselves up and dust themselves off. Be there when they have a question. Give your opinion or advice only when asked. Learn to communicate with them calmly. Help them learn problem-solving skills. Be a sounding board for them. Be their biggest cheerleader, their supporter, their trusted advisor. I love this quote from someone on Reddit. I'd love to have my kids need me forever, but that's what pets are for, not children. It's your job to slowly work your way out of the picture. Brutal, but that's love. So, to review... Overparenting can look different depending on the parent. It can be controlling or it can be like making sure the kid gets whatever the kid wants and everything in between. The signs are mainly that autonomy or independence is taken away. They can't learn from their mistakes because they're protected from ever making one. Or if they do, it's fixed for them, just like that. They aren't allowed to have a voice, an opinion. They're told everything they need to do or think. Take a hard look at your parenting and the support you give your teen. Is it more than they need? Could they be doing a lot more for themselves? Then let them. Don't let your own anxiety, need for control, perfectionism, peer pressure, or anything else get in the way of preparing your teen for adulthood. They deserve the opportunities to fail, to learn, to feel comfortable in their independence once they leave the nest. Don't deprive them of that. Speaking of Teens is sponsored by Neurogility.com. You can find lots of free parenting guides and eBooks at Neurogility, N-E-U-R-O-G-I-L-I-T-Y.com forward slash here we go. For show notes, the transcript, and the free download I mentioned in this episode, you might be overparenting if go to neurogility.com forward slash 14. That's one four. Thank you for listening. I really hope you got something out of it. And if so, do please share it with a friend. 
and I'll see you right here same time next week. Until then, take care and go hug your kids right now. No, I'm serious. Like, take the earbuds out now and go give them a hug. Seriously, go. Go.